Ronananian. You ever work on a car and you're like, you're sure the part you're after is in there somewhere? You just have to keep taking things apart to get to it? I like big cars like one that's sitting in my grandpa's yard. He'd say, they don't make them like that no more. Nah, Pontiac, get left Chevy for big cars. The Car Doctor. I'm wondering if the pads themselves, the metal portion of the pad, is rubbing somewhere it's not supposed to. And, you know, I think you touched on something I've been thinking myself. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions about whatever it is that's bugging you or your automobile, about your automobile, however you want to take that. 855-560-9900 is the 24-7 Car Doctor phone number. Give us a call. If we're not on the air, we're live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can call, leave a message, and Chief Executive Producer Thomas Ray the third will give you a, a call back and put you in the queue for the next week's show, 855-560-9900. It was a pile-on week at the shop. You know what a pile-on? Actually, Wednesday. Wednesday was pile-on day uh, because no matter what you did, the pile just kept getting bigger. It was, And that's really what auto repair shops are all about. Auto repair shops are they're about piles. There's, there's piles of parts. There's piles of cars. There's... There's piles of paperwork. There are piles of tools. You're always dealing with piles. And sometimes that pile is, is, is daunting. It's overwhelming. It's, it's no different than what you do in your job. Wednesday was brutal. It really was. It was just they were rolling in the door like oranges, and there was nothing we could do to, to, to keep up with the pace. And you just weren't going to keep up with the pace. You just knew that you had more cars capable of being able to be dealt with and people didn't want to take no for an answer and sure just bring it in and put it somewhere and if you can find a parking spot next i made the error write it down i made an error of you go ahead put your key on the counter i i you know you know who everybody is i i know who you are just put the key on the counter and i'll 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 get to it later on in the course of the day yeah i should never say that you know What's that movie with George Clooney, The Perfect Storm? This was like the creation of The Perfect Storm. It was the perfect pile-on. I got up to the counter about 4 o'clock, and there were six keys, all from Fords, all from model year 2005 through 2008. I think we cleaned out that corner of Bergen County of Ford Fusions, Tauruses, and Mercury Milanos. That's all we had. Now, some of the car, some of the keys had, you know, beepers attached, remotes, and some didn't. And, you know, you got six keys, all Fords. They're in the schedule or some weren't in the schedule. They're there for the next day or the day after. They're dropping off early. Some of them hand-wrote notes. And you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, what key goes with what car. So you take your remote out and you're, you're going out into the parking lot. You figure it out. Just hit the remote. It'll, it'll, it'll beep. And no, because they're 
they're 10, 12 years old, and nobody fixes remotes after they get to be so old. The batteries go bad. The remotes break. So now you're walking around the parking lot at 4 o'clock with a half a dozen keys in your pocket and key tags going, let's see, this one this one went to this one. And your hand unlocking keys, trying, you know, doors trying to... It's such a simple thing, right? You know, you, you think it's so simple, keys and cars, like how hard could it be? And you're just trying to whittle the pile down. There was a pile of broken cars, and I did. I, I sorted it all out and, you know... Never will I do that again. Just put it on a pile on the counter because never would I have assumed that we'd get all the same. And understand, when they're that close in model year, 2005, 6, 7, 8, all the keys kind of look the same. They don't. They, they, they seem to follow a pattern. It was just, oh, my God. We had one car there. We had, we had a, one generation of Ford there this week. We had one day this week, we had three Fusions, a 9 and two 10s, a 2009 and two 2010s. One of the 2010s needed brakes. One of the nine needed general service, and the the other 2010 had a check engine light on. I think that's what it was. Are you confused yet? I was, because we had to be very careful that. And you know, it's happened, right? You pull the car in, and you know, you read 2010. You got to look at the license plate. What's the license plate? When you're in a smaller shop, you tend not to look at license plate. You know whose the car is. Turns out the 210s were both black fusions, and the, 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 the 09 was a dark blue. So now, you know, dark blue when it's dirty, if you kind of look at it and you squint on a dark day, it looks black. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I told Danny, be very, very careful. I feel like Elmer Fudd. Be very, very careful that we're fixing the white car today. And it was, you know, so that was a pile. That was a pile of cars. The paperwork was easy. The paperwork pile this week was just, and it was just, it, it just is. It's just, it's just endless, you know. It just, and you're just always shuffling paper and moving things around and putting it in its right place and tracking parts. And it was a pile on week. It really was. I was glad when Friday came. Well, sort of. That was yesterday. Yesterday, I got to the shop about five to six in the morning because we were way behind and we had to get a pile of cars out. And we did. We got out every car that we had to get out. The last the last job of the day was a tough one. It was a 2002 Chevy Trailblazer that had been there all week. We were it was a it was a pile on. It was an add-on to the pile on Monday. It had broken down over last weekend and the shift cable failed. You know, you talk about stupidity in engineering, and sometimes you look at these things and you say, it's amazing how they last as long as they do. Inside the end of the shift cable, General Motors decided in 2002, you can put this little hard nylon rubber plastic bushing, and that rubber plastic bushing, I guess, on the assembly line, it just pushes in over the shift stud on the shift lever on the side of the trans, and it locks it in place. If tires dry rot every five to six years, what do you think happens to the rubber parts on the car, especially something as critical and a key component as the rubber bushing inside a shift lever? This poor woman was coming out with uh, hands full of groceries previous Saturday and had a car full of groceries and, you know, on an otherwise nice car, and the nickel part just cracks, and she can't move the car out of gear. She moves the shifter, and uh, there you are. Well, to change the shifter cable, 
This is the second. You know, at least I've decided that they seem to group the stupid engineers all together in the same category, right? So not only did they design a bad shift cable, but they also made replacement kind of ridiculous. Because to replace the shift cable on an O2 Chevy Trailblazer, the driver's seat has to come out. The console has to come out. The carpeting has to come out. All right, because the cable comes up through a hole in the floor that they make with a rubber grommet, and then it runs, which, by the way, that rubber grommet held up, and it comes in, it runs up the floor pan, up around the top of the tunnel, and into the back of the shifter. So about quarter to four yesterday, and, you know, it's, it's really hard to do inside any repair shop because, you know, you, you need room. You have to spread things out. So about quarter to four yesterday, if you drove by the shop, it looked like we were disassembling the interior of a car. We actually were, in a way. We had the, uh, we had the carpet spread out. We had the, the seat out. We had the console out. We had the, the – the, and, and you get the point. And we got it back together. About 4.35, it was back together and uh, ready to go. It took a little bit of part of the afternoon. And that pile was reduced to nothing. So it was it was really great. About 5.15, 5.20 yesterday, we walked out the door, and I looked around, and I said, man, what a pile-on week. Uh, it just, it's just, you know, it's just crazy. And you drive by the shop right now, there's four cars in the parking lot. There's Carpenter Bob's truck, which is dead. There's the Dodge uh, Diesel, the 97 pickup, which is done waiting for a pickup. There's a Buick going to scrap, and there's one more, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, it's the 08 Explorer, which I'm sure I'll be able to talk about next week, because that's the other part about pile-on week. It seems like they come in, in, in groups, right? So that one has a broken shifter also, except with that one, that car won't shift out of gear, so Ford made it. And, you know, there's a problem in that car that they put the cup holders right next to the shifter. So the original complaint with that car was that the customer can't shift it out of park, put your foot on the brake, it it doesn't shift. You put your foot on the on, 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 on the pedal, push down, and you have brake lights. The brake light switch is working, but it won't shift out of park. You take that console apart, and you find 11 years' worth of soda, coffee, dried sugar, all wedged into the shifter and around the electromagnetic shift actuator, and you go, I'm going to design a car. It's going to be very simple. It's, you're going to start. It's going to run. It won't have a lot of bells and whistles. All it'll do is it'll get you to work. And when it breaks, it'll be nuts and bolts. I might have to invent the time machine because you're not going to be able to drive it on today's roads because I'm sure somebody will have a problem with that. But, boy, it's just something's got to make more sense than the way we make cars today and the way we're expected to fix them because it, it seems like you guys, the poor consumers, are fighting a losing battle, paying for something, expecting it to last in that, um, you know, it's just not getting a whole bunch easier. But anyway, that was the week at the shop. It was a pile-on week. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. That is uh, the number we're here to uh, take calls at. I see the phones are lit up. We'll uh, pull away and take a pause. Um, I also want to comment this hour. Uh, I think it's this hour and next. We'll talk about it. But I understand the city of Boston is going to autonomous cars. Oh, boy. I'm sure this will go over really well. So, but uh, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter. Getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. Just take your 
The Car Doctor, thanks for joining us this hour, and uh, thanks for getting together with us this weekend. We know you've got a lot of choices and a lot to do, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Let's get over and talk to Frank, New Mexico, 14 Nissan Sentra, some scan tool questions. Frank, welcome to The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, thanks, Ron. Uh, I, my wife's got this uh, 2014 Nissan Sentra, and I'm wanting to get a uh, scan tool that will tell me almost everything probably i don't know that i could afford dealer level what can 500 bucks get me quite a bit um and and keep in mind you know out of all the scan tools i have and everyone knows you know we've got more than a few scan tools it's i forget which ones i actually have sometimes i have to walk around the shop and go yeah i got that 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 um i would say 60 to 70 percent of the time the scan tool of choice is the cheapy i've got hanging by the uh first bay garage door um, it's a very old scan tool from, I mean, it was SPX OTC at the time, and Bosch bought OTC five years ago to show you how old this scan tool is. So it's it's probably 10, 12 years old, and it still works. It works on everything from, you know, 2018s on down as far as OBD2 is concerned, and that's my point. I fix most of my cars, well, 60 to 70% of my cars, strictly with OBD2 technology, just looking at that side of the vehicle computer. So I, I think in terms of you, the you know the, the citizen with the 14 Sentra, to try and get something dealer level, I think you're going to find is going to be too expensive, and you know there's always going to be that specialty tool that you need, or there's always going to be that 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 something that you don't have. So I think $500 is a good budget. Um, do you have it? Do you have an O'Reilly Auto Parts by you, Frank? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, would, I was wondering whether to go O'Reilly or look on ebay for snap-on or something you know well i think you know what i think i think it's a choice of two i think it's i think it's go talk to the guys at o'reilly auto parts see what they have i'm thinking about some of the actron line uh the orange colored scan tools uh which will be obd2 and they're they're made by otc or they're a division of otc good quality stuff they're they're that give you fuel trim and all that stuff? oh yeah that's you, you what you're what you're basically looking for is okay let's break it out like this you're looking for a scan tool that will read codes all right and this is obd2 so it's not going to be yeah. manufacturer specific it's going to be obd2 compliant all right so you want to look at something that'll read and clear trouble codes as far as engine controllers are concerned all right and would you be able to reset the things like when you change batteries or change this or that part you gotta no now you're well now you're getting into vehicle specific all right so you know because because what you're describing is you know the procedure for resetting battery uh replacement on a ford might be different than a nissan might be different than a honda so you've got to have the ability to get into something and go vehicle specific so yeah, because I like to work on the cars myself, but I can't do anything with the newer cars and right. you know. So now so, you're now you're going to spend more than five hundred. Now that doesn't okay. that, that 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 doesn't mean that you don't buy two scan tools. Uh, you know, it's it's like it's <laughs> it's like collecting old cars, right? He who has the most wins. Uh, you know, I got it, I got a bunch of old cars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did I know that? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I would I would probably buy a basic OBD tool. That does code clearing and data stream. That's the other. That's the other piece that you're looking for. If it does both of those things, and learn from there. All right. Get get familiar with fuel trim. Get familiar with, uh, you know, doing looking at calculated load. Get familiar with understanding the relationship between intake air temp and you know coolant temp. 
uh, learn the difference and look at. And this is one of the nice things that OBD2 will, will do. Um, that Nissan Sentra, I'm almost certain, has an air-fuel ratio sensor in it. Uh, one of your older cars, but computer-compliant, probably has an O2 sensor in it. Nissan calls an air-fuel ratio something different than GM, than Chrysler. They all call them. They all call the same part by different names. OBD2 standardizes it. It, it, it re tends to refer to an air-fuel sensor as either an air-fuel or an O2. So you're not spending time looking through... Uh, you know, a long list of PIDs or pieces of information, pieces of data. Gee, what what the heck does Chrysler call it? Chrysler Chrysler calls fuel trim something totally different than the rest of them, and you'll, you'll drive yourself nuts trying to remember if you don't do enough Chryslers. OBD2 makes it a standard, and 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 that's what's really nice about working with OBD2. It doesn't matter; it could be a Mercedes or a Chevrolet. It's going to have the same nomenclature and naming in in the system. Now, you want to get into something vehicle-specific, yeah, then you're going out to eBay, and you're going to look at, you know, either a shop that's giving up a snap-on tool, uh, or you're going to go look at, uh, you, you know, it's a really nice tool that we like, we use a lot in the shop, is the launch, the launch torque. The launch torque, now, you know, we're more than $500, we're probably on the street for between $2,500 and three grand. and before you faint, understand what the tool will do. All right. The, the tool is vehicle specific. It does it 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 probably fills the hole eighty five percent of the time, ninety percent of the time. There isn't a lot that tool doesn't do, and it's right up there with with the you know with the rest of the industry and the rest of the aftermarket in terms of you know capability. You got to remember this: when you're buying a scan tool, it's bang for the buck. The day you buy that tool, it's obsolete. And you got to get the most out of it. It really is. It's like buying a computer. It's obsolete, brother. Uh, one of the, you know, it's it's one of the nice things about the launch is the way they update it. They're always updating the tool. They're always taking the tool. Um, you, you know, you, you have a subscription. You can every time you log in, you can look. Yeah, they're updating this manufacturer, or this manufacturer, or this manufacturer. You know, I know it sounds like a lot of money, but if you want something vehicle specific and easy to use. The launch torque is, is is really the way to go. All right, Frank. Yes, sir. You have a uh, you have a great day, and thanks for giving us a call in and uh, let us know what you end up doing. But either O'Reilly Auto Parts, O'ReillyAuto.com, or get out the launch Launch Tech USA if you want something vehicle specific. I'm Ron Anady and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Well, we had to uh, welcome back. We uh, Yeah, Tony's looking at me puzzled. Well, because I've got Lucy the Wonder Dog in here today with me. Come here, baby. Yeah, Lucy was looking at the door. I think uh, Lucy's trying to protect me from the mob <clears throat> outside. So um, let's get back to the phones. Let's go over to, yes, Lucy, come here. Yes. Good girl. Lucy, the studio pit bull. Uh, very ferocious. Ooh, big. Ooh. Uh, throw a saddle on her. Take her for a ride out in the uh, back parking lot there. Uh, let's go over and talk to Denny in Indiana, 2002 Honda Accord. Denny, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, um, I'm calling about my daughter's 2002 Honda Accord. Uh, it's it's kind, of a, kind of a weird symptom where 
uh, when it's coming to a stop, when you're driving along and you come to a stop, uh, usually a split second after you stop, there's a thump. Um, it kind of shakes the vehicle, and it, it feels almost like when you are in neutral and you put it in the drive. And uh, I don't know if there's a if this is a common thing with these Accords or there's a good way to diagnose what the issue might be. Is it sort of that you've pulled up to a stop sign or a traffic light and you've stopped, and then a second later the car kind of catches up to itself? Uh, you know, yeah, in the sense exactly. That, yeah, that, exactly. that, that a thump. I, you know, if you put it into neutral, do you get the same sensation? Uh, no, when you put a neutral, you do not feel it at all. So if you pull up to, if you pull up to a stop sign and pop it into neutral, you don't get the feeling. Correct. Or if I put in a neutral as I'm coasting to a stop, I won't feel it either. Okay. And other than that, the car feels good on the road at speed, 55, 60, no shake, no pull, no wander, uh, you know, no steering wheel shake. Yeah, it actually drives really well. Okay. All right. It's just good uh, going up through the gears and everything. Um, it seems like um, as it, when it's colder outside, it's worse than when it's warm outside. Uh, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it at all or not. But. Okay. There's there, there's two weak links in Accords of that generation. One's the trans. The other is the catalytic converters. So, you know, if, if there's a trans issue with this, I'm not going to be surprised. But before we just jump on and say, yeah, the trans is bad, let's just let's just have a, a, a small conversation. I always want to look at I always want to look at axle seals on these cars. I've seen the axle seals. It seems like that early 2001, two threes all had issues where axle seal leaks developed and trans fluid level would run low or as a result of the leaks and trans fluid level running low, the carriers themselves, the final drive, the, you know, the, the differential, if you will, that's in the transmission, the carrier bearings would go bad, and they'd start to create play and slop, and then the axles would bind up and release on stop, and it would create an issue. And I've seen cases of you know rebuilding the differential solves that sensation of the car catching up to itself. Um, uh, you know, it, so that's something to go look at. Obviously, we want to look at all the mounts. You know, trans mounts, the the two engine mounts, the one on the front by the radiator, uh, the one over on the right side. Is this a four or a six cylinder, uh, Denny? It's a four cylinder. Yeah. Um, you know, take a look at the mounts and make sure they're okay. It, does the shift indicator on the dashboard, you know, the little two, uh, the D, the two, the the one. Does it ever experience? Does she ever experience where one of those lights or two of those lights are lit up at the same time? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, she hasn't said anything to me about it, and I haven't noticed it in my driving it either. All right. The the two thousand one, and I know you're a two. The two thousand one Accords were so bad, so bad as far as transmissions were concerned. Honda extended the warranty up to a hundred thousand miles. The weird part is the twos had. Basically the same transmission, and Honda did nothing for those vehicle owners. They know that the ones had some had their issues. So I'm always judgmental with the twos and the threes. You know, for conditions like this, it's got to be look at fluid, look at mounts. Like I said, look at axle seals. Could it have a final drive issue? Uh, you know, and then I would scan it for codes if there's none in there. But I, I think at this point, and as long as there's nothing loose in the front end that, that, that somehow... Uh, we're missing in the conversation here. You've got an internal trans fault. 
I don't I don't see it as much of anything else. Uh, how many miles are on the car? Uh, 140,000. Yeah, that's kind of where they start to have their issues. You know, I would, um, I w- it, it, let me ask you this question. Is is the problem there every time? Is, if, if, once, if the weather's at the right, you know, if, it's, if, if the temperature's at the right uh, condition? Is it the same every time? Yeah, in other words, mm-hmm. could, a re- could a repair shop duplicate it? So if, if, if somebody Oh, yeah, to- they could definitely duplicate okay. it. it. It does it every time we drive. Um you know, there's every once in a while where it won't do it, but it does it more often than not. Right. You know, it's it's because my, my questions are, can somebody diagnose it? And then depending upon the diagnosis and where she go, where she's going with it, how badly does it need to be repaired? You know, is it, mm-hmm. is it and, and that's part of this question, too. It's a 2002. It's got 140,000 miles on it. You know, college student, high school student. Um, you know what is she? Yeah, high school student. Yeah, you know it's it's, you know what is she doing with the car, and then how far is she how far is she going, you know because to put a transmission in that car that's the next question that always comes up, if it if it was part of the you know the transmission replacement's part of the problem, I don't know what I don't know what I don't know what it's like in Indiana from a cost perspective, but I can tell you here in the tri-state New York New Jersey area, that's a that's a thirty five hundred four thousand dollar trans overhaul all day long. So, you know, yeah. to spend that kind of money okay. on an older car, you, you know, um, you, you always think about cost of living and how it changes around the country. But, uh, you, you know, I don't see that as a thousand dollar repair, uh, you know, so you've got yeah, to, you've got to, right. You got to think about that as well. So, um, okay. but those are the things I'd be looking and for. It sounds like if this is a, uh, if they are a generation of a cord where the transmissions are not very, well uh spoken of <laughs> no then it probably wouldn't be good to consider a used transmission on either well that, no that's exactly right because you know you're, you're going to get the exact same thing and you know there's there there's a fair amount of labor in pulling that trans it's 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 not the worst it's not the best but you know it, and it also comes back to i think what you've got to look at here is what are you going to do with the car after she graduates she's a high school senior she just graduated or she's a junior going to be going to become a senior She's going to be a junior this coming year. Okay. Um, uh, so she's going to be a junior. So she's going to have the car another two years, it sounds like? Uh, that was the plan, yes. So yeah, she drives about five miles down the road to high school and back. Right. Uh, so her high school driving is not too bad, but I wouldn't trust this for her going out of town right. uh, or anything like that. Well, and then I guess the question comes back to what's it going to cost to, if, it, if it is a trans, what would it cost to put a trans in it, and is that cheaper than replacing the car? And then, you know, unfortunately, and I've been there, you know, I was there just within the last 10 years, you start thinking of these things. They're going to go away to college. Are, are you going to be okay with them driving that car to college? If they're going to drive it to college, do you keep them in that car or do you migrate to the other car? You know, it's, you know, we were buying them three-wheelers 20 years ago or 15 years ago, and now here we are, you know, trying to set them up in cars and make them into adults. <laughs> it's, it never ends. You just want to get exactly. them off. The, you want to get them off the payroll. That's all I can tell you, Denny. It just it takes a that's while. Right. Yeah, um, it it really does take a while. So, but um, that's how I would approach it, sir. All right. Okay. All right. Very good. You're very welcome, you, sir. You're very welcome. You uh, good luck to you. Yeah, that's you know what you spend. You spend a long time, right? You raise them from these little, and then they become this, and then it's you're you're buying them three wheelers, and then you know dolls, and then cell phones, and then. And then off they go, and, you know, I will tell you this, though. Parents get smarter. 
the older the kids get, I've learned that. I don't know how that, that that's what happened with me. My mother got my mother got smarter the older I got. I couldn't figure out where she went to college. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Andy, the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Charging hard towards the top of the hour. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Bob in Mawa, New Jersey. Here today, gone to Mawa, 2005 Dodge Dakota. Bob, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks so much. Yeah, I got a 2005 4.7-liter V8 with uh, 114,000 miles on it. And let me just preface this conversation by saying that my dad was a mechanic, and he always said, kid, don't be a parts changer. And I'm afraid I've become a parts changer. Now, nah, let's see if we we'll right. get you out of that habit. Go. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that. So anyway, a couple of weeks ago, this is my kid's truck. He drives it back and forth over there to Mawa High School. Um, he's driving it up and down the, the, the hills in town, and all of a sudden, a high-temp light comes on for the transmission. So, um, you know, the car had been well-maintained. It was my dad's car before my kids. And um, what I did was I pulled it in, checked the level of the fluid. Fluid was good. It was a little dark, so I figured it was time to change that. And I also went online, and they said, you know, it might, it might be time to change a radiator on that because they're supposed to, like, lose efficiency. The, the second cooling coil in the radiator that, that helps out the trans cool. Right, yeah, it's a combination of it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, which I don't know what genius ever decided to condense trans cooler radiator and shove everything together. But, yes, that is hmm. correct. It's, it's um, let's save some money and make it worse. Go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, I, I went out, I, I, I bought a, uh, a Denso radiator, which is a pretty good name for that, right? And, yep. Oh, yeah. And I put that in. I also changed the, changed the fluid. I put a wick fluid in there. I'll tell you, changing the, the training fluid on that was, was no mean trick. I had to drop this cross member. It took me about two hours to get it back in. Anyway, I get, I get it all put back together. My, my, my son takes it for a drive, and the light comes on 10 minutes later. Okay. And... and so, so then, being the true parts changer that I am, I go out and I buy a aftermarket trainee cooler kit. <laughs> I bought one big enough for a mobile home, you know. So I, I, I slap that on the front of this uh, on the front of this Dodge Dakota too, and the light is still coming on. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions. Is well, it a computer yeah. issue. Well, yeah. I mean, what what makes you think that the computer is telling you the truth? Yeah. You know what? You know, let's 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 think about it from that perspective. This is a sensor in the bottom of the trans pan. And it's 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 read through the. There's a ten plug connector on the right side of the case. If it's the trans I'm thinking of, and they've got some known issues with that plug, and you know everything mm. from this could be this could be a bad sensor to uh, corrosion inside that ten plug pigtail to a wiring harness issue to a bad PCM to you know pick your best. Um, yeah. This is a zero to five volt thermistor uh, temp sensor. That's that's um, actually I take that back. It's not a thermistor, um, but it's a zero to five volt sensor that is going to you know change the voltage signal based on temperature. Um, so well, yeah, it's it's do this. Take this bullet. I'm going to give you a bulletin number because we're going to be up against the clock real quick. There's a bulletin I want you to get your hands on. Twenty one dash double oh nine dash oh five. 
Okay. Uh, that's from Chrysler. That talks about problems they see, various trouble codes that they see with this transmission for fault with the 10-way wiring pigtail harness on the right side of the case. And it, okay. gi it gives you a repair procedure for that. I'm not saying that's the problem, but that is something to stop and consider. All right, that you don't just you know blindly continue to change parts. And then the other side of this conversation is when the light is on, how hot is the trans fluid? Yeah, that's the whole thing. I, you know, I never really checked to see how hot the trans fluid was, which was right. So I, I mean, I'll tell you what. Stay right where you are, Bob. Let me pull over and take this pause. When we come back, we'll finish this call. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're both coming back right after this. Every highway. Welcome back, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Bob, you're still there, sir. Oh, right here, Ron. So, you know, let's, let's. I, I mean, when the light comes on, how long has he been driving it? Is it coming on in the first two minutes of driving, 10 minutes of driving, 20 minutes of driving? Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. It's intermittent. You know, it comes and it goes. And right. didn't put a, you know, what I did was, first thing I did was I checked it for codes, and it's not putting any hard codes. You know? Right. So, Right. Yeah. Well, and let's not let's let's not wait for a hard code to happen. Let's just let's attack it from the perspective of, um, you know, how about we look at temperature on a scan tool and 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 monitor it and let them take it for a ride. And, yeah, gotcha. You know, let's let's see where it goes. If 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 all of a sudden engine temperature uh, engine temperature is normal but trans temperature spikes up, uh, you know, and then it it drops down but the light's staying on, do I have an issue? Because I believe the light stays on. At once the temperature hits that point until it resets by cycle of the key. So, hmm. you know, it could be an intermittent open or an intermittent spike in temperature as it, as it sees by a bad sensor, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, it's, it's not really there. So the question becomes, how high or how hot is the temperature actually getting? And, you know, that's, that's step one. Uh, worst case scenario, you got to go out and buy more tools. Maybe go out and buy a little thermal gun or a heat gun and, you know, just an infrared gun. And how hot's the trans case when it happens? Uh, yeah, you know, buy more tools. Buy more tools. What's going to say about that? Yeah, well, it's listen. But if I can get you to buy more tools, I can get you to be less of a parts changer. Dad would be proud of you, right? He so would. it's he it's would. we're just trying to help you in your image. Um, yeah. So hey, you, you hey, had a second a, question. Yeah. I was going to say you got a two for a nickel today. Let me ask you real quick about my 1964 Cadillac sedan Deville. Just bought it. Go ahead. Okay, it was a one owner car. 429 cubic inches, 46,000 original miles on it, right? It's sat for since 2007. Okay. Just got it back on the road, changed all the belts, hoses, fluids, every, everything back up and running. The one thing that isn't working is the uh, air conditioning. How did I know? I, Go ahead. Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> so so right, the air conditioning line, the line that runs from the expansion valve over to the accumulator is right by the battery terminal for whatever reason. And it, and it had a hole in it. Yeah. No, it had a hole in it. So I guess somebody like you know, like a like a wrench ground it against it and it blew a hole in the line, right? Right. So I am just wondering, I I found the new line from some guy in North Carolina, he's shipping it up. But I mean the fact that the system was open for all these years, are they gonna have to like purge all the oil from it? What are they gonna have to do and is it gonna be expensive? Uh A it's gonna be expensive. It's 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 a vintage car and if it's done right it's gotta be you know, it's it's not about expensive, it's about doing it right. So at the very least they've gotta run some kind of a flush through it to clean everything out. They should change the dryer. The you know, sometimes it's called an expansion tank, an accumulator, receiver dryer, whatever. Um, that should get replaced. Oil level in the compressor should be checked. Hand crank the compressor around a couple of times. 
be prepared to add some refrigerant, I'm sorry, some oil to the system to make sure it's got enough. And then the question becomes, do you convert it to 134? Do you leave the old R12 in it? Um, that I leave up to you. Remember, R12, R134 doesn't work as well in an R12 system because they're non-barrier hoses. Good luck to you, Bob, on all fronts. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.